from Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 44. Today's show is brought to you by lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts, PDF Pen Pro 7, take control of PDFs on your Mac, and field notes. I'm not writing it down to remember it later, I'm writing it down to remember it. Now, my name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined today by the wonderful Mr. Federico Vitici. Hello, Mike. Hello, Federico. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I am very well, sir. I am very well indeed. What's uh, What's the news in, in England today? But c- tell me something that's new in your country. Um, There has been a host announced to replace the Top Gear hosts. His name is Chris Evans, and he is a radio host, and he will be taking over as the host of Top Gear. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I only understood one word of what you said, which is host. Host. Uh, and radio. Uh, Top Gear is um, uh, it's the the uh, car show mm-hmm. of stuff about cars. Yep. Right. Yeah. Oh, good good stuff, man. Um, Can you share with me a piece of news from Italy today? Um. I th- I don't watch the news much, but I think we have a problem with immigrants this week. Oh, okay. <laughs> it sounds really awful based on what I saw on the television. I don't uh, fo- see. I follow more American news than Italian news, which kind of separates me from society in a way. So sometimes people kind of want to make small talk and talk about politics, and I don't know what they're talking about because I don't follow anything here. It's like I'm separated from what's going on in Italy. And occasionally I do watch the news. It's just uh, most of the time I just stare at the screen and black out and and I don't understand what they're saying. Um, You know, it's sad and and strange and funny, depending on the person you're talking to. Um, Michael, why is it you and me today? Uh, Our good buddy, Mr. Stephen Hackett, has been dealing with some family uh, crisis this week. Um, and I'll put in uh, a link in the show notes to a little uh, family blog that Stephen keeps if you are interested in such things to keep up with what is happening in the in the Hackett uh, household. So I just want to take a moment to just send my love to the Hackett family. Um, everything is okay, but, you know, those guys, they go for a bit of a tough time every now and then, and sometimes Stephen needs to take a little bit of time to go and deal with that, which we want him to do. Um, because the most important thing is his family. So I want him to just make sure that they're all loved and taken care of yep. because they're a great bunch. Yes. So, yeah. That, that's, we love that's you very much, that. Stephen. Yeah. And, and Mike, just let me clarify real quick. That when I, The politics small talk, it's not about the immigrants. It's that, That's a terrible story. The, 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 the stuff I don't like, it's the Berlusconi gossip and that kind of stuff, which is still happening apparently in Italy because the guy kind of got out of jail or whatever. And they're still, you know, talking about this person. Um, and, and people are like, yeah, did you see what, what it did? And I, I have no idea what it did, honestly. Uh, but the other, the other stuff, it's awful. And actually, the, the, the problem kind of, um, it's also in Rome. We have a problem with all these people coming from these um, uh, North, North African countries, which is terrible because they're escaping the war. And it's it, we don't have the facilities. My understanding, at least, we don't have the facilities to uh, treat these people properly. You know, to give them food and shelter, which is terrible. And um, yeah, so your news sounds much uh, better than mine, uh, Mike. Man, our show notes already this week are really eclectic. 
We oh, have yeah. Chris Evans to be the new Top Gear presenter, BBC News. Italy threatens to give Shenzhen visas to migrants as EU ministers meet from The Guardian. And then Josiah updates, which is Stephen's family blog. They're, they're all over the place so far this week. So we should, we probably, are... we should probably actually talk about some of the uh, topic at hand. Mm. Uh, rather than discussing world politics, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I I feel like that's a that's a a, a good implementation of our uh, philosophy, Mike. I like that. So let's let's do some follow up. Um, follow up. Follow up. Uh, Kevin writes in and says. During your WWDC Impressions episode, you talked about Beats 1. Calling it an international radio station seems odd to me, given that, from what I can tell, it's an exclusively English-language broadcast. At 1 minute and 8... Or 1 hour and 8 minutes, I guess, in the... Or 1 minute and 8 seconds into the Apple Music introduction video, uh, Julie Adenuga... Is that how do you say Adenuga? Adenuga. Well, Adenuga. She's from London, so you should know. She describes Beats 1 as Apple's <laughs> okay. first 24-7 worldwide radio station. Given this phrasing, I suspect that we'll eventually see stations in Chinese, Arabic, Spanish, etc. Do you think that this is a reasonable expectation? Uh, yeah. I mean, it seems like that would be a smart thing to do, for it to be world music, uh, rather than just music picked by people that speak English. Having local stations and local programs just seems like the obvious next step for, for radio, done by Apple, at least. And there's all sorts of channels and programs. Uh, even if you just uh, kind of step back from music, they could do news, they could do sports. And even if we just stick with music, just imagine all the, the local programming they could do and the local art, artists they could interview and have special live shows for, I don't know, Italian musicians and bands. Uh, it, it seems obvious to me that they want to do this. But it also seems um, like a clever move to start with these three well-known DJs and kind of say, we have an English radio, we're going to broadcast this worldwide, and so we're, we're going to start from there. And we'll see how it goes. And see, you know, this is what Apple does. They start with small changes. And then, you know, in, in three years, you have these radio stations all over the place. Uh, I think that's definitely the plan. Yeah, because I think what they're doing is they're looking at two big centers of music, um, which is America and the UK. And they're starting there and then building out, which I think is a, if you're going to start, that's probably they're probably the places to start. Um and then move from there. But I think that they should do this. They should have uh, radio stations that cater to the world. Um, even if it's just catering to the world's languages, you don't need to have like a, a station in every major city. But or they should have gone with the with an Esperanto radio station. So it's a true global language. Do you know Esperanto, Mike? I've heard about it. I don't know how to speak it. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of started the Duolingo <laughs> course, the beta course to learn Esperanto. So I kind of know two sentences of Esperanto. Well, look at you. Look at you. Yeah. All Esperantian. It's they're an adjective for being an Esperanto person. Um, but yes, it, I mean, English, for better or worse, it's the language, you know, it's the global language. And so it makes sense, even if, if it's not your local language, you can still listen and have a very basic understanding, especially in new generations. Like, I feel like for my mother, for for my family, it would be a problem to listen to Apple Music right now. But for my friends, you know, people my age, we grow up, you know, we grew up learning English and being exposed to English media, like TV shows, movies, books, and video games. It's, 
no-brainer. Uh, so I know that there's plenty of people who can't learn English, but it's if you want to go with a global broadcast, that's your only option, basically. Unless, really, you want to do Esperanto, but I kind of struggle to see Apple getting behind Esperanto. Anyway, uh, Jose has written in, on the subject of whether Apple is behind on the whole intelligent aspect, they are at least for for the 10% of Android users that tend to get the newest version of Android in the first year. What he goes on to say, if it continues to take years for features like Google Now on tap to trickle down to the majority of Android users, then Google's head start doesn't matter as much. Should Apple choose to mine user data on servers... On, on their servers, this would also mean that they have more users available immediately and therefore more data to work with since a much larger percentage of their users upgrade soon after release. So what Jose is getting at, if I'm if I understand it correctly, is that Apple is gonna be in front of Google because they have a bigger percentage of users to upgrade initially. And that because Google only have about 10% of Android users that upgrade to the newest version of Android, their efforts in machine learning and intelligence won't, won't be as advanced as Apple's could be. This argument doesn't hold any water for me. Um, and the reason is, is because, yes, Google's adoption rates are weird, right? Um, and way worse than Apple's. But this isn't where the technology is coming from. Like, Based on what we've seen so far, Google Now on Tap, for example, appears to be like, well, one, it's more advanced, right? It is more advanced than what Apple have with Siri. They're doing more things and it seems to be smarter about what it's doing. But the information that Google is getting is being given to them and perpetuated by the people that use all of Google's services. And that's where the strength is coming from. It's because they have people using Google Search and Gmail and Google Photos. It doesn't matter if they're using Android M or not. The system is learning because everybody's using it, which is how it's learned in the first place. Yeah, to me, like, I'm trying to to imagine the different approaches by Google and Apple. And to me, it's like, if you give a match to 10 million people, and if you give a torch to 1 million people, whereas gonna be the, the the most fire and because apple is doing this lightweight intelligence at scale you know with ios 9 a lot of people are gonna upgrade and for android you can argue that the more advanced stuff is gonna be limited to just people who upgrade and so that's gonna be far uh you know a fewer uh, you know an inferior number of people having the last version of android with the more uh you know with the new google now and all this new stuff but and that's I kind of agree with that because it you know there's more people on one end doing the Apple intelligence and there's fewer people on the other end. But as you say, the Google layer of intelligence it's more it's more horizontal. It you know they can collect data, which is what Apple doesn't want to do to kind of collect data for different Apple services. Google can do the same even for people who don't upgrade to the latest Android and. So that gives them an advantage. And if you consider Apple's plans in, in Siri intelligence and in search for iOS 9, I could see this becoming a problem. Um, if, you know, if they want to make sure that search and suggestions from Siri are really contextual and personal to users, it's going to be 
difficult or maybe we just don't know it yet because we'll need to see the technology in practice uh, but it's going to be tricky for Apple to, to do this kind of personalization without the data collection and not just the data collection because they are doing data collection but you know not knowing too much or not comparing data between two different Apple services like for instance what if Apple was able to look at my Safari history and look at my Apple Maps history and kind of find patterns or bits of information that kind of paint a more complete picture of my habits? Google does that stuff, even if you don't have the latest version of Android. So, you know, it's um, apples to oranges, maybe, in a way. And I guess we just need to wait for iOS 9 to see if it, actually this can scale, if this can work. And if Apple's plan is, you know... That they kind of want to rely, they want to rely on apps and developers to, to kind of do the heavy lifting for them. Um, we'll see. It's, I, I feel like it's too early to compare the Apple intelligence versus the Google intelligence stuff that they've been doing for a decade. Um, yep. He has a point, but there's also your side, which makes sense. Like, so, uh, some the facts in Jose's stuff ring true that there is a smaller amount of adoption, so it might be that some features don't get as advanced, but. I don't imagine a world in the next 10 years where Apple is able to get as much information as Google has. Like, it's just because they approach it in fundamentally different ways. And the fact that Google don't mind or they're not fussed about taking data in, analyzing that data to make trends, which they're able to apply across their whole user base, this seems like something that Apple is not doing, yeah. right? Which is a difference in choice, but it but it will end up with different results. I don't know which one will be best, but the results will be different. Yeah. Apple's model is uh, ignorance by design. They don't yeah, want to know. They don't want to know about you. And they say, we want to have as little data about you as possible because we, we feel like we don't want to use this. We don't want to store the, this information. So we don't want it. And is that going to be... Uh, we, we still don't know if millions and millions of people are, you know... Can you tell how many active users Google now has? We don't know. They do make impressive demos. I think Google now on tap is it's amazing, but is it because I'm a, I'm a nerd and I'm fascinated by this kind of intelligence, like the Google presenter on stage? Uh, I don't know. Could be, or maybe you know, can people like my friends and my mom, who I feel like I'm bringing up too often, and if she knew English, she'd be upset at me. Would those people? enjoy this kind of advanced intelligence or are they okay with the basic Apple intelligence stuff? Will they be okay with that? Will that suffice for those people? We don't know. So, Jose, it's a good question. Um, good discussion. Um, let me take a break here. In the moment we come back after this break, Federico, I want you to tell me about the Notes app. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, this week's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Dot. Com, the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com, slash connected. Lynda.com is for problem solvers. It's for people that are curious who maybe want to make things happen in their lives. Maybe you're the type of person that wants to start their own business, right? And you want to learn how to bootstrap a business. You want to learn how to develop a business, market it, and then you want to learn how to sell, all of that kind of stuff. Linda has courses on all of these. Maybe you just want to learn the foundations of color, the foundations of drawing, then learn Illustrator and Photoshop so you can be a designer. Linda.com can help you with this. Maybe you want to learn negotiation tactics. Maybe you want to learn Xcode. Maybe you want to learn presentation 
presentation skills and getting things done skills because you want to get better at your job. Whatever it is you're looking to do, lynda.com is there to help feed your curious mind. And they do this by pairing you with these videos. These videos, once you get into lynda.com system, which you can get that 10-day trial for, you can go in and watch all of these videos that are made by experts, people that are not only know their subject inside and out, they're super passionate about teaching it. And they've created these fantastic videos that you get to watch. You get to stream them on demand and you can learn on your own schedule at your own pace. You can learn on the go with their Android and iOS apps if you want as well. You can uh, watch and download courses there. You can create your own playlists because basically you can watch the videos however you want. They can, you, they're broken down to little bite-sized pieces. You can watch them all in one order. You can chop them all up. You can jump around. You can make playlists of them. You can share those playlists with your friends. You can browse their course transcripts as well that allow you to follow along and maybe to skip to a certain point in the video if you're just looking for something specific. Your Lynda.com membership is going to give you unlimited access to this training that is on hundreds of topics all for one flat rate. Whether you are looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, I want you to go and visit lynda.com, that's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash connected, and sign up for your free 10-day trial. Thank you so much to Linda for their continued support of this show and all of Relay FM. So Federico, talk to me about the Notes app. You've been using this, and there's some hmm. weird news that's come out this week, which kind yeah. of nicely links in with it. Concerning news. Uh, so according to the information, um, Phil Lieben, the CEO of Evernote, is about to announce that he's stepping down and they're looking for a replacement internally to guide Evernote. And this is worrisome because Libin has been very vocal about wanting to build a, you know, a company that will last 100 years. And obviously, if this is the report is accurate, that's not going to be the case, at least not under his guidance. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he imagined that he could live 100 years. So I suppose that he that he had in mind to find a successor, you know, sooner or later. Uh, but still, this sounds, you know, um, unexpected, at least uh, based on the way the article presents this uh, uh, rumor. And uh, they even quote the, the CEO as saying, I-, I need to find someone who's better than, than me at guiding the company. And they say Libyan has been a product person, meaning that he's not really an operational guy. Um, you know, uh, he, he wants to, to build products and features, not to guide a company with, you know, big business and stuff, which makes sense, but still kind of concerns me because we've been talking about the state of Evernote and kind of the changes that they brought over the years to the app. They made it look different and they changed the design again. And it feels like every few months or so, they bring a new feature, they change stuff, they they add a lot of on top of simple notes. So now you can do presentations and you can do share, shared notes. You can do real-time chat, which, by the way, Evernote really wants you to know that you can do work chat. I don't know if you notice in the app, but, you know, you can do work chat, Mike. Um, there's, there's a banner constantly to remind me of work chat. You can do office documents. You can do search. You can do a lot of things in Evernote. And I do love Evernote, and, and, and it's served me very, very well over the years, especially because it's got an open API, so I can, you know, play around with uh, third-party apps. I, I just love the integration with Workflow, with IFTTT, and all these other services. It's awesome. They build a true ecosystem. 
but the app feels a little crowded and cluttered and it, it feels confusing and and it's not a good sign that every uh, you know every once in a while and very often actually they change stuff they move things around and 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 it, and it does feel like they don't have a clear vision again there we talked about this on other show uh, virtual for video games about microsoft constantly backtracking on on products and announcements and never note it's they're not backtracking but they're changing things very often and so you know they had these different apps that at one point they had an app for recipes and one to study uh, with the ipad and the smart cover that's yeah. a never product at one point that actually happened um so they did a, a bunch of things, and maybe they lost focus or, uh, along the way. And uh, so this report is kind of concerning, not totally surprising, but it got me... Uh, so this came out last night, and it got me thinking about what I've been trying for the past week. So I told you... Oh man, this was a long introduction. Uh, I told you um, that, I, that I installed um, iOS 9 on all my primary devices, and I told you also that I installed El Capitan on my MacBook Air. And to I my also horror, told... to my absolute horror. Yeah, the, well, the show was fine, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. No, don't try to, to make me feel guilty it about was, this. It was, but what if it... Anyway. No. Anyway, no, it doesn't matter. No, you, you don't live your life on what-ifs, Mike. Uh, it, it was fine, don't worry. So... <laughs> Come on, did you see that we're talking about notes and then I'm giving you life lessons? What is this? A psychology session? So, so Jesus, Mike. So I'm just trying to say I've been using the notes app on my phone. For a couple of weeks now. No, I'm for a week. Say. No, no, it's not a beta. It's, well, it is a beta. It's yeah. not that kind of beta. Um, I've been using the notes app on, on my phone with... Um, the new notes app has a new iCloud backend, so it's really uh, it's been super stable for me at syncing, which is surprising because every time I used to try the notes app in the past, it felt like it created duplicates all over the place. It was like you want to have a single note, no, you gotta have ten duplicates of this note, which wasn't the best user experience, if you, if you ask me. Uh, but now it's like it sync is really fast so every time you open the app if it's not already updated you see a, a spinning icon for like two seconds and it's done uh i have the same set of notes with the same formatting on my iphone my ipad my mac and even the web app it's nice and it does what i wanted to do which is reach text with links and images um and what i've been using a lot and this is why i I'm thinking about Evernote. I've been using the share extension in iOS 9 and on OS 10 uh, LCAP. Uh, they got this share extension that lets you append text to an existing note or create a new note. But what I like is that I can append text and links to a note. And this lets me create a list of uh, articles or you know news, videos, whatever that I want to talk about in there on the show or uh, on 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 the on Mac stories of course or maybe on, on our newsletter i have a, a lot of lists of links and stuff that i need to cover or do that is not a task it's maybe an article that i need to reference or you know that kind of stuff and i i i used to do these kind of things in in evernote with workflow 
uh, they have an action to, you know, you you bring it up in in this in the iOS uh, share sheet and you run a workflow and you append text to Evernote, but it's always been kind of well, not perfectly reliable and also slow because, you know, you need to tap share, you need to select workflow, then you need to select the Evernote workflow and then you're done, hopefully. And instead, on iOS 9, I can just tap share, notes is right there uh, and, and, and it's done, you know? And what I also like a lot is that when I append a link to the new notes app, you get this new format for links, so you get like a, a, a small snippet. You get the title, you get the URL, and you get a, a thumbnail preview, uh, an image from a video or from an article, which is really handy to kind of visually browse the links that I that I have in a note. And I've also been trying, of course, on iOS 9, the Notes app, because it already supports uh, slide over and split view. And it's been glorious to take notes on my iPad while watching uh, the session videos from WWDC on the left side, taking notes on the right side, it's been amazing. And it's been like the kind of focus that, I, that I've always wanted from, from my iPad, you know, to have two things at the same time, but still be focused on the task. It's just that, you know, even if it's two things, the task is still one. And, and I feel like the Notes app, it, at this point, sync is fast, I can save links quickly, I can have images and, and um, annotations, you know, I can draw stuff on the screen and formatting is fine. It's on it's on every platform. It's got these integrations that are done by Apple, which are impossible with third-party apps. And I'm thinking, what if in the future I just need the notes app? And the Evernote news comes out and I'm like, hmm, you know, that, that's not a good sign. And I've been enjoying this app for the past week, and it's too early to make a judgment here, but I'm going to continue using this app. And I know that Evernote, you know, does a bunch more things. You can store PDFs in Evernote. You can search. It does OCR, which, you know, Apple doesn't do. But maybe for my note-taking needs, so for me, note-taking is what I do before I switch to editorial, which is where I write and edit but I do a lot of note-taking beforehand. So maybe for my note-taking needs, this is all that I, that I, that I need to have. And it kind of sounds like I'm, I'm scared of myself because what has become of me, I'm using the notes app like, a, like you know, like an animal. And I'm supposed to hate the notes app because it doesn't do markdown, because it doesn't do all the geek features that people love but it's fine and it does split views and I don't know, it, it works. I mean, anything will do Markdown. Yeah, you know, just the way you write. It just doesn't show the preview. It's it, you know, Markdown is formatted in such a way that anything will do it. You just type it out. It just, oh, no, yeah, I need the preview know? when I do Markdown. Okay. Yeah, I need the syntax highlighting. Yeah, when I do Markdown, I want it to be like editorial, you know, which kind of turns the Markdown into uh, into a preview. And maybe, I don't know, but maybe Evernote will, will find a great new CEO uh, and they will reassure us that everything's fine. And I'm sure Evernote has, will have an iOS 9 update with split view and slide over. But it just feels like maybe um, overshooting, you know, um, I'm using... Like, I think about this stuff very often, and I do this kind of re-evaluation every year. 
And last year, it made, me, it made me realize that I was fine with Safari because it was the default browser and I liked the features and I was fine with it. And, but maybe I'm using an, a note system. That, well, I'm actually, I need less to do more. That makes sense. And then maybe all the stuff that Evernote does now, it just adds confusion and clutter. And I want something simple with notes, with folders, with rich text, and um, that's it. I don't know. Do so, I sound crazy to you, Mike? What's wrong with the Evernote share extension? Well, it doesn't save links as nicely as the Notes app does on iOS 9. And it always feels like it's messing something up for me. Whether it's a link or a document or a selection from a web page, it always feels like it's kind of unreliable. It's not perfect. Uh, and and I just like I just like the idea of you know using a, a simple system because that's what I need instead of having to juggle you know with this complex app that wants to do many many things at once. Yep. And uh, like if I can remove so I I I work a lot right and I and I write every day. My days are spent writing and taking notes. That's what I do. And I need to think about as little thing as little stuff as possible. I I I need to make I need to make few decisions to I don't need to think about how to use my notes app. I don't want to think about how to use my you know, my computer or my iPad. I need to say okay, this is how it works and I'm done. I just need to focus on text. And with Evernote, it feels like I'm constantly fighting the app, whether it's an advertisement for work chat, or maybe sync is failing, or maybe the share extension doesn't save a link the way that I like it to be saved. And, and, and they make me worry about the CEO, whereas I'm not worried about Tim Cook, for, you know. Um, I'm obviously joking about the CEO. It's not a concern, but um, they, I just feel like I need to take notes in a, in a simple way and maybe maybe I'm not making a final decision here maybe the notes app is fine that's my my confession I, why is it that I feel tired mike it just I feel like confessing something horrible happened I feel like I made a statement to you not a not a discussion about notes the reason that you're that you're so exhausted is because you're ashamed that you're using an app that has <sighs> has cron like crushed paper as the background. Yes, that that's weird, right? Why? Are I don't know why that? it's still there. I really See, don't I, know I, why it's still there. Didn't doesn't bother me much, but it's weird. Like when I when I pay attention, it's kind of why are they doing this texture and this like effect on the text? It's it's strange. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, like I get it. Like it's a it's paper, and people used to write on paper. I have. So this is gonna sound crazy to you. I haven't held a pen and a piece of paper in like two years. I, I think. don't even understand you. I I I'm pretty sure. I the only thing that I write manually is my signature, and usually that's on a screen. Uh, I I just don't I. I am lucky enough to not require paper in my life. I feel like that's that's a, that's under it falls under the section things I'm lucky to have, For you. not paper. For you, you know. 
I'm lucky to have pen and paper because I enjoy it. Yeah, I'm joking, but you know, I'm I kind of get the metaphor behind the notes app, but it, it feels like a it's a it's a it's an artifact from the Steve Jobs and Forstall era of design. I'm not sure why it's still there. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Mike, but the paper does doesn't have a place on iOS. I bought an iPad. Okay, so see that's a that's a good topic. So you bought an iPad just out of the blue. So can you really blame us for making fun of you and your shopping problem? I've done it for a for a specific reason. I've done okay, it for so iOS nine. Tell me your specific reason, Michael. I want to run iOS nine on it, and I will be able to if I want to upgrade this. I will be able to sell this, and I won't have lost any money on it because I got a, a discount for buying it in the USA. So you bought an iPad to run the beta of yeah. iOS 9. Yep. I appreciate the sentiment behind that. Um, I can relate, I think. Tell me tell me more. So I bought the Space Gray 64 gigabyte. I got a white Space smart Gray cover 64. because why not? White? I don't, yeah, I don't know why. They just had they had white and red there, and I was like, eh, I'll just go for white. Okay. Um, I'm still in the process of setting it all up, you know? Okay, so how long haven't you used an iPad? Oh, well, I have an iPad mini hmm. that, that I use occasionally. But with any kind of frequency, it's been a while. I haven't used a big iPad since the iPad mini original one came out. So... This still looks like a comedy device to me in some ways. Hmm. Because everything's really big. And like the icons so, are really big and the all the user interface is really big. And So it feels different to you. Yeah. Yeah, it feels really different. Does it feel just like the, the, the software interface is bigger? Or like the device is also like faster and like a different iPad? What what kind of difference do you see? Well, it's more difficult to manage because it's way bigger and heavier than an iPad mini. Um, so it's like cumbersome. It's one thing. Uh, the soft, like, I'm trying to still get used to the fact that the software is bigger. And, and I noticed this less in the third party apps. Like in Apple stuff, for some reason, everything feels kind of crazy. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is so big. Um, which is kind of weird, but I'm get I'm getting more and more used to it. I can kind of realize what you said when you originally got the iPad Air too. Like you kind of could get used to it quite quickly because you kind of just get lost in the apps when the utility of them becomes clear. Um, which is what I remember you saying words to that effect when you got your iPad Air too, because you were also, if I remember correctly, a bit like this is kind of crazy. I'm so used to an iPad Mini, mm-hmm. but you got used to it, and I, and I feel like. I feel like having used it for a couple of days, I'm more used to it than I would have thought I would be at this point. But it does still feel uh, peculiar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I made a good call with getting the Air 2, considering I was not. Yeah, because you would have been very upset. Yeah, it would have been a serious problem. Um, so tell me tell me more. How to... What have you done with this iPad? What what have you noticed in I assume you you put the, the already the iOS 9 beta on, on the iPad. Yeah, I didn't so, do anything to it until I put the beta on it. Like okay, I got, so you bought the iPad, downloaded the beta, you put the beta and then you started using the iPad. Yeah. Okay. So, I've only got a few apps on here right now, like the stuff that I use the most and I'm trying to build up exactly what I need. I started it from fresh. So, I felt like that was the best way to go. Um, but 
just basically like I am super excited for iOS 9 to be properly released because the split screen stuff is mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah, crazy. I really like it. I can see how uh, a, div- a device that has this kind of functionality could be more usable to me on, on a daily basis hmm. because I'm able to do more work with it. Like, I haven't been able to do this kind of stuff yet because the apps don't support it, but I can imagine, like, sometimes, quite frequently, what I'll do is I will get an email which has some dates in it that I need to put into a spreadsheet or some, or some like, values I need to put into a spreadsheet. And I'm, like, if I'm doing it on my Mac, I'm, like, switching between screens. And if I'm doing it on my phone, I'm, like, switching between apps. So, like, this also, like, the, the split-screen stuff in El Capitan is is interesting to me because I do a lot of full-screen stuff. Um, so being able to split the screens there intelligently sounds nice, but doing it on iOS on the iPad, I can see how if it was that easy, I would be doing a lot of my iOS stuff when I'm at home or doing a lot more work at home even on the iPad because it seems like it would be a really simple and easy way to do things, you know? And and I can feel how much nicer it would be to do that, like to use that. It, it feels like mm-hmm. a, a fun thing. Like it feels like an, an easy way to work. It feels like a nice way to work, and like a an intelligent way as well. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, there's some work to be done by Apple on the way that um, you switch between apps in uh, Slide Over and Split View, and uh, this could be the fact that just Apple apps uh, take advantage of this feature now. So my problem is that there's a different set of apps. There's a different set. There's a different order of apps in SlideOver and in the multitasking view. So, like the the order of recent apps is different between the two uh, modes, and that's confusing uh, because some t- because I feel like when I pull in from the SlideOver, I want to see the same app that's in the recent one in the multitasking view. So there's some confusion there, I think. Um, And and it's also a problem because, you know, there's a mix of apps that are updated for iOS 9 and apps that are still not updated. So you can have the same, at least we can have right now on the beta, the same set of apps in both screens. But overall, this is the reason why. I've been trying to use Apple apps to get a to get a better understanding of all, of all these features. Uh, and using, you know, Apple Mail, Safari, Notes, and even the podcast app. Um, you know, it I can imagine like two months from now when all my apps have a split view and slide over, this is gonna and that's what I wrote in the article last week also. This is gonna change the iPad and not just for me and not just for you but for people who want to do any kind of work on the iPad um, it feels like the kind of compromise you know uh, okay we, we're not going to do a single one app at a time anymore but it's not the uh, what, what we're going to do is not a default we're not going to say you always need to use two apps at the same time apps are still launch you know full screen and this is just an option for people who need this kind of functionality, which makes sense. And I've seen a fair share of criticism from um, from people who uh, have been uh, 
enjoying multitasking on Windows. I, I read a, a, a post from uh, Lucas Mathis, I think is his name, uh, his website, uh, I think it's Ignore the Code. His blog is one of the blogs that I've been following for the past few years. Uh, he says that uh, multitasking on, on iOS 9 doesn't feel intuitive, that it's confusing. That, that hasn't been my impression. Like, I've been confused by the different set of apps, but maybe just because, you know, uh, right now it's beta and I don't have many third-party iOS 9 apps. Um, but I, I do think that gesture makes sense. Um, there's, a, you know, there's stuff to fix. And there's a, it's a beta, some things don't work. Um, some interface elements could use a little more, you know, work again. Especially when you, when you move the keyboard from one split view to another split view, it can be confusing. Uh, but overall, I think, I think it's, it's a good idea. And, and I'm glad, Mike, that you also like multitasking. I, I, I'm kind of, I'm curious to know how you're going you're gonna to use this, like in your daily work. So you, you do shows, and I assume you take notes, you do spreadsheets because that's what you do. Uh, how you, do you feel like how you're going to use this? It's interesting because I don't, I don't know, but I feel like there's potential here to be able to do more stuff on it because I always have felt like a lot of the work that I do, it's just easier to do it on the Mac um, for me because I'm able to move around quicker and, and navigate multiple apps um, at the same time a lot easier and faster than the iPad will do. But this feels like a different way of, of computing, and it, you know it's, it's kind of what I was asking for, for the iPad to be considered like its own thing rather than just a thing that's like the other thing. And, and that it excites me. Like there are other things, like the picture-in-picture -picture stuff is amazing. Like watching the watching video and stuff mm -hmm. whilst yep. whilst like browsing around or like taking notes and you know I'm I'm very excited about that like to see that kind of branch out so like I feel like there will be things that happen that I would want to do just specifically on the iPad because it feels like the right device to use it for because it's light and portable and easy and simple to hold and simple to use and simple to take around because I've been lusting after the MacBook mm -hmm. as like a light portable machine to do work on to take traveling to take out to places to go to my co-working space and stuff like that but now i'm i'm feeling like the ipad could be a really really good solution for that because you know the apps that are on ios i love more than the apps that are on my mac i like interacting with with the apps that i use more on ios like i enjoy that more but i've always felt like for me, it's the same for many people, I'm able to be more productive on the Mac because it's built for productivity in a different way to iOS. And it's kind of just over time, the way that we do computing has locked into a mode where these big machines with physical keyboards and mice and multiple desktops and inbuilt multitasking into them and stuff like that, they are easier for many people to do work on. And then people like yourself have found new ways to work on these devices. And now Apple themselves are giving us new ways to work on these devices. So I think that, that this is the step, a step in the right direction um, for, to, for being able to, for most people, rather than just for uh, experimenters like you to do real work on the iPad. Well, yeah. Um, you know, one of... The big reasons why 
I like iOS is that I like iOS apps and the apps that I can use on iOS, I, I don't have those apps on the Mac. There's no editorial, there's no, you know, uh, Twitterific. I do like it. There's no, you know, many of my favorite apps are not on iOS. And I know that there's alt- on, on OS ten, and I know that there's alternatives that I can use, but I just feel like as a platform with the features and the apps that I like, it gets me more than OS ten gets me, you know? Mm-hmm. And... And Apple is even showing us how many new features we can have those on iOS instead of OS X. And picture-in-picture picture is, a, is a great example. There's no picture-in-picture picture for OS X. It's not... I mean, you can kind of fake it. You can work around that. But it's not as easy as pressing the home button to close a video and still having a floating pop-up of the video following yeah, see, you around. You can do it but it requires more work on your part. Like, this is this is built into the operating system to work in this specific way. And this is built on the principle that stuff should be simple. So you just need to close an app and the video follows you around. And, and what's interesting is how limitations often breed change in the sense that because the platform is so closed in the sense that, you know, there's a set of rules, there's a set of confines, there's a set of stuff you can do. And you need to think about, okay, I want to do this, but how? Considering these constraints, considering how iOS apps work, and I only have one one button, I don't have a physical keyboard most of the time, I don't have a big screen, what am I supposed to do here? So you can see as a product, picture in picture, is comes from this kind of thinking um, that's m- taken a complex idea, which is a video that plays in real time and that follows you around and that has controls, and let's make the simplest possible implementation. And as a product, that's that's um, that's impressive, I think, uh, because it requires deep thinking about you know, what you're dealing with. You could have gone with so many other different versions of this. You could have added a new gesture. You could have said, okay, I want to have the entire app resized, but the video kind of gets bigger. You know, there could have been many other different takes on this. And instead, there, you know, you got to think simple to do complex stuff. And that's, picture in picture is a good example. And, um, so, yeah, in comparing iOS, working on iOS to working on OS X, there's many other uh, examples like this. At least for me, uh, there's many other examples of this. So I can just pull down on the home screen to start searching instead of remembering spotlight and that kind of stuff. It just feels simple and maybe closed, but easier. And, yeah, just works for me, so... My favorite thing about the um about iOS nine on the iPad though is the new notifications view in landscape, which on the yeah. left presents you with widgets and on the right strange. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is it is new and I wasn't expecting expecting that and it's like um 
someone told me on Twitter, go check out the new notification center on the iPad and you get this new uh, split view there. And it's interesting, something that I noticed, Apple is kind of making a difference of the today section and the widgets section, mm-hmm. which couldn't get more confusing than that so you have so today it, widgets and notifications today is where you can put some widgets and they are fixed in position <laughs> so they're always there and yes. then on the right hand side uh, so that's on the left on the right hand side you have your notifications and if you have any widgets in that part which you put in in settings you drag and drop where you want them to show then you can choose between widgets and notifications so you can have two panes of widgets if you want them but like i have like fantastic how i focus on the left and then i have my notifications on the right so far it's very yeah, nice I, I i went with um to do on the left and a bunch of stuff on the right side um i don't know it's an, an it's another instance of apple uh, using the ipad screen to do more uh not going to be groundbreaking revolutionary change possibly still useful one thing that i don't like right now is that the widgets that i use aren't properly sized for the more narrow layout of uh, the widgets so it's like there's a a bunch of widgets that kind of (laughs) overflow and they look ugly um but yes it's 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 a nice change not a not a big one but a nice change so what do you, uh, overall, Mike, what do you think you're going you're gonna to do with this iPad? Like, can you imagine yourself when iOS 9 launches, when apps are updated to take advantage of iOS 9, based on a few days of usage? What's your uh, overall take? I can see it taking the place of some work that I do at home or, or out of the office. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not going to take the it's it's not going to replace my mac right okay and, for like sure. I'm, I'm not going to just use the mac pro and the ipad i'm still going to use my macbook pro to do stuff um but i can see that there are certain things research stuff uh some you know, responding to some email reading twitter that kind of stuff well if i ever get a twitter client that i can stand to look at um <laughs> not bitter at all about that now um if you know once i feel like at that point i may then start to replace some of the work that i do with the ipad instead uh because it's it's a nice device and it's got a nice big screen and it looks good and it works really well and it's fast and i'll be able to be more productive on it but we'll see i mean but i am excited about it i'm looking forward to seeing what um apps will begin will start to actually support it but we can go from there and see where we end up yeah and uh, you know there's going to be a bigger ipad uh, i think for sure at yeah. this point yeah it's for sure and developers even found fa- even found a bigger keyboard in the ios 9 code this week um and uh, apparently you will be able to have two full-sized landscape apps at the same time on this bigger ipad uh, or maybe two full-size portrait apps. Uh, anyway, it'll allow for an even better split view, which makes sense. And I guess the bigger iPad also allows Apple to put in more memory, you know, to and, and a faster processor, you know, better hardware because of the increased space and, of course, more battery. Uh, so it makes sense at this point uh, with, with, the, with these uh, resizable uh, layouts from apps 
they can go they can go to any size so a bigger ipad uh, we don't know yet uh, what apple's message is going to be for that device um but but i can i can see i can see how uh, the multitasking uh, could take advantage of, of that should take a break yes this week's episode is brought to you by PDF Pen Pro 7 from Smile. PDF Pen Pro is the advanced version of PDF Pen, the ultimate all-purpose PDF editor from Smile. It does everything that PDF Pen does, such as add signatures, edit text and add images, perform OCR and scan documents and export your documents into Microsoft Word format. Your, your PDFs can be sent out into Word or PDF Pen. But only PDF Pen Pro can create an interactive PDF form, build a table of contents, set document permissions, and convert your websites to multiple page PDFs. The new PDF Pen Pro 7 adds easy editing of OCR text from scanned documents, as well as export into Microsoft Excel, PowerPoint, and PDF archive formats. As a PDF Pen Pro 7 user, you can get to your documents everywhere as they all sync via PDF Pen, sorry, with PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone via iCloud Drive. If you ever needed to touch up or correct a document, this has never been easier thanks to PDF Pen Pro 7's fantastic and powerful OCR support. If you ever get sent a PDF of a spreadsheet or a presentation, instead of having to bug that person to send you it in an editable format and wait for more hours for it to come through, just fire up PDF Pen Pro 7 to convert it into an editable document for you to use. A new to PDF Pen Pro 7 is the ability to set tooltips to form fields, which allows users to create voiceover accessible forms, which is a big deal. PDF Pen Pro 7 is a really amazing and powerful piece of software. You can try it out for yourself today by downloading the free demo over at smilesoftware.com slash connected. Please note that PDF Pen Pro 7 requires Yosemite. Thank you so much to Smile and PDF Pen Pro 7 for supporting this show and Relay FM. So, Federica, we didn't get to talk about uh, the watchOS last week because we were so short on time. And, you know, I, I think I would like to hear your thoughts on it a little bit and see how you feel. Like, So last week we got watchOS 2. Um, a quick rundown of some of the features as a reminder for people. There's some new watch faces. Third-party complications exist now. Uh, you know, people will be able to make those. Time travel, which is a feature to turn the digital crown, and complications will change to show future and past events. Um, there is a nightstand mode, which allows you to set your watch down at night, and it has a nice little uh, clock. We have enhancements to digital touch, which have multiple friend rings. And you can change the colors in your drawings. FaceTime audio support. There are uh, new Apple Pay stuff like reward cards and UK support. Well, that will be in there before then. I think that's coming via a different update probably with music. But there is reward card stuff. Siri is getting better. It has HomeKit's um, integration. You can open glances with Siri. So you can still like, open the OmniFocus glance and it will do that. And of course, it will integrate transit directions along with uh, iOS 9. Uh, you can reply to emails now. Uh, Third-party apps can write to the activity rings. You can start workouts with Siri, share the awards that you get, and of course, we have native apps with a whole host of improvements like microphone access, speaker access, digital crown access, that kind of stuff. So, how do you feel overall about what we have here? Like, does it, Are you excited about it? Yes, I, I am, and even if some of the developer changes are not as native as Apple 
wants to describe them. Like what? What uh, for, do you mean? Like the digital crown. It's, it, um, I saw on Twitter some discussion. Uh, it's not like real full native access. It, it is a better access. You, developers can use the, the digital crown to um, control input, but like um, it doesn't give them the full control over how like content scrolls and like it could it, they could do even more for instance like haptic feedback in apps um they, they only they only offer you some presets uh so it's native but you know it's it's like last year uh, cloudkit was free with limits this year uh, watchOS 2 is kind of native with limits and so but but it's better than before of course and i i am excited um but i kind of wonder in a way, this was what WatchOS 1 was meant to be. You can make that kind of argument. And not because, I mean, any f uh, software update could be regarded as what the previous one was meant to be. But in this case, because the, the, you know, there's such a short amount of time between the two releases, this is obviously something that Apple had been working on while launching the watch and so being so close to the device launch makes it even more clear than this is much better than what we have today and it may like what i keep thinking of is especially after watching the john gruber excellent interview with phil schiller at wwdc what's the the metric that apple used to say Okay, we need to go with the first watch it, watch kit in April instead of September, and we need to go with third party apps with watch kit with the first version instead of waiting uh, five months to get them right and to make them faster and more capable. And like I, I, I'm, I'm curious to understand because I feel like I don't know enough to make a, you know say yeah this is why they want to go this way i'm curious to know what benefits the company found in having third-party apps with many many limitations versus just waiting five months and creating anticipation in people and not having initial device reviews saying it works but the third-party apps kind of suck uh i i'm I, like i want to know what kind of level of judgment they use because i'm not don't disagree with what apple did because having third-party apps at launch um helps sell the device you know because they can do tv advertisements with apps and they can say yeah the watch does all this stuff and it's a computer and it's magical and you need it but the the other argument is very very solid uh, just wait five months give developers real tools to start making apps devote resources for, instead of shipping WatchKit from November, you know, start work, working on WatchKit in November and shipping in April, just focus your entire team on making WatchOS 2. So maybe if you're launching in April, you don't even need to wait until September um, for WatchOS 2. And the other argument is solid. Uh, you can create anticipation. You can tell people what apps are coming. You can have a, a, a strong second wave of uh, watch marketing by giving websites access to apps. 
uh, it's, it's a solid counter argument, but also Apple's strategy makes sense. So I kind of want to, again, the features are nice, complications, Siri, all good stuff. But the core of these change. That's what I want to discuss with you. What, what do you think of Apple's decision to go with WatchKit and then WatchOS 2? I don't know why they did it. That, that is my kind of feeling of this is why did they ever do WatchKit in the first place? Like, could, like, what was stopping them from just waiting another, <laughs> another six to eight months? Like, before even releasing the watch at all? Well, there's got to be an aspect of insecurity, maybe, of saying, yeah, we're launching a watch, but it's solely with Apple apps. And from their no, perspective... No, but they didn't need to do it that way, right? They could have done it exactly as they did. So they could have shown the watch off in September and had it come out in April. like, Or they could have shown the watch off in June at WWDC and had it ship in September with full native apps. Yeah, because I feel like they wanted the public event to be in September of last year for maybe reasons like besides publicity to do like uh, to get the device approved for regulation reasons. Um, they needed to do September with the device. Um, but I don't understand getting people to work on WatchKit last year and making them focus on WatchKit for months and then also making them work on watchOS 2 at the same time for June. That's kind of, that's weird to me. Like, I, is there a huge, huge benefit in having third-party apps right now on the watch? That Couldn't people wait five months? Would have that seriously compromised the initial sales of the watch? The lack of WatchKit apps? I don't know. It's, um... It's it's the aspect of watchOS 2 that I keep thinking about. And maybe, you know, in the big picture, it doesn't make any sense to obsess over this because in September, we'll get apps. And again, I can make another argument. Even if we discuss this Apple decision, is it a, is it a, 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 is it a serious problem? Even if Apple was at a, at a bad judgment there, is it a problem? In the end, people are still going to buy watches this holiday season. They're still going to have apps. Yeah, so, but it's the... So do these five months say, matter? Do these five months matter? Maybe. In the big picture? Maybe. Because I don't know what the perception is of the average user that owns a watch. Like, are they using them being like, this thing is so slow? And is that going to affect their decisions in the future is that going to affect when people say to them what do you think of that and they say it's just really slow look how slow this is i press a button it doesn't do anything so that that's that's what makes me think about it in this way right because there are so many third-party apps like basically every app that you own has a watch app right at this point is it damaging to the overall uh opinion of the watch amongst people that don't understand what WatchKit is or don't care what WatchKit is, is that harming to the overall experience and potential future longevity of the product? That is a question that I don't know the answer to. But I know that as a user that understands WatchKit, I still get frustrated when I have to sit and wait. Because the whole idea of this product is to basically... Like the, the main reason is an accessory to the iPhone for you to pass information 
to your iPhone and for your iPhone to pass information to you without you needing to interact with your iPhone, right? That is like the core of what this device is intended to be right now. When it is taking me minutes to open the app, to get the information, at that point, or like when I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it, spin, 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 the screen goes off, turn it back on, it's still spinning. I could have just grabbed my phone. And, and when it's causing me the frustration, it's like I, when I think to myself, I need to do something, which I've been doing more recently, I, I, need, I think, oh, I need to do something. And then I go to do it on my watch and I'm like, I know this is going to take longer. That feels like that is a failure of the product, of what its core functionality is supposed to be. And it at least seems like that native apps will help with this in significant ways, which makes me wonder why do we have WatchKit apps? Why are they not just like glances and notifications? Why did they give us WatchKit apps when they must have been testing this stuff and they must have seen what the delays were like because it's natural because of the technology they're using? I just don't know why they either didn't wait until they could get full apps or why they did watch kit at all or why they didn't just like or why they didn't release the product and just have no SDK and just Apple apps like the iPhone until they were able to actually give people the apps that would service the device properly. So let me give you another possible explanation. They did this because they know that the people who are going to buy an Apple Watch now are early adopters of the device. And early adopters of Apple products can endure the frustrations of initial software problems. And they're still going to be using Apple products anyway. And in five months, they're going to be happier and they're going to be advocates of the watchOS 2 because it's much better than what it used to be. And early adopters and people who love Apple products forget stuff quickly. On the other hand, setting an initial perception of something that it's not there kind of lasts more. And it's easy to turn a missing feature into a meme. Let's say that Apple doesn't do Apple Watch apps on the, on, on the, on the first version of the watch. So for five or six months, you don't have apps on the watch. And the public, uh, the mainstream media starts writing the Apple Watch, it's, it's cool, it's fine, it's useful, but it doesn't have apps. And the, the general consumer, uh, who, who is not an early adopter of anything because they're very conscious about spending their money on electronics, they, they, they browse around Facebook and, and websites, they, they read and they're like, they, they form this belief that the Apple Watch doesn't have apps. So when Apple does, does WWDC, that kind of consumer doesn't care about developer changes on watchOS 2. And for many months, they keep going with the idea that the Apple Watch doesn't have apps because once, when they were curious about the device and they read on mainstream media that, the, that it didn't have apps, they formed this idea that there were no apps on the Apple Watch. And I feel like if I were Apple, I would also think that the initial perception of a missing feature is stronger than the initial frustration of an early adopter. And from that perspective, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I don't know if... I understand what you're saying, what you're saying, and I can see your line of thinking, but I don't know if it works out as simply as that because basically 
what you're saying is like early adopter people that aren't early adopters won't spend the money, right? Because it doesn't have the third-party apps. But it's kind of the same sort of idea because if an early adopter then sees that it has apps on it and buys it, they're going to be unsatisfied with the product. And they and they are people that are potentially more likely to be upset because they're less price-conscious. And the thing is, like, if the watch didn't come with apps, Apple can just use their insane marketing machine to go, now has apps. Like, that would not have been a difficult message for them to, to get across. Like, I understand what you're saying. It makes perfect sense. But I still feel there's the other side of it as well. There's like, no way out of this without working at Apple. No, we would just keep going around and around. And, and what yeah. happened was executives in a room made a judgment call. That's what happened. They felt like they needed to have apps on this device, right? Which is why there isn't a new Apple TV now or whatever, because it wouldn't be able to have potentially all the apps that they want, like the content apps, like... They want to have, it feels like somebody's made a decision at Apple, which is like, if we release a new device, it has to have apps on it. And then the software team is saying, okay, but the SDK will not be ready, right? And then marketing or whoever is saying, like, we want, you know, we want to put this out there. This is what we really want to have. You know, so you, you can imagine this internal fight to where somebody's gone, screw it, we're going to do this, this, and this, they're going to be underpowered, we'll have another SDK out in June, like, job done, and we'll just, we're just going to get it out there. And so they've made a decision, and they've made a selection of calls. I don't know if it's the right thing to do, I don't know if it's the wrong thing to do, I don't know what the right option would be, I can just see they made a choice. And I agree with you, like, if they didn't put it out, maybe the marketing message would have been really bad. Right? No apps. And then you're looking at Android Wear, which has a ton of apps. And then are people going to compare them? Who knows? So you've got to get at least have there. Even though it's not, they're not real apps. They're like, they're like, you know, it's like smoke and mirrors, right? They're, they're not actual mm-hmm. apps. It's just information being beamed from another device. But it gives the impression of that. And should it? Should they be more responsive? Yes, they most definitely should. In a couple of months, will they be? Yes, they definitely will. So will it have been worth it? I don't know. Maybe. And that's, you see, I mean, that that is this, like, eternal battle that we play with this sort of stuff. And we do because it's fun to talk about it. But it is a decision that, as pundits, we can discuss. And I just, I feel like that there is a potential they could have burned some bridges with some people who bought this device. Because I know I'm frustrated at it. I love my Apple Watch. I actually said that for the first time in San Francisco. I hadn't said it. I was in San Francisco. I was out and about all week and I was able to do things. I was able to see if stuff was happening. I could archive emails, set emails to be read at another day. I could do all of that on my watch. And I was walking down the street in San Francisco and I proclaimed, I love my Apple Watch. And I do. But you know what I love about it? Everything except apps. I love everything else. I love the notifications. I love the glances. But the apps give me frustration. Apple's apps work fine. But third-party apps, when they work, they're great. But that doesn't happen as much as I would like it to. And it's not fault of the developers. It is the confines that they're working within. Which makes me very excited for WatchOS 2. Because Overcast, OmniFocus, Dew, uh, Dark Sky, all the Can apps Can you say that, that I... again? Uh, What's that app? Uh, Dew. <laughs> there you go. Thank you for the Cortex reference. Uh <laughs> You should check out Cortex, by the way, if you haven't already. Um, Relay.fm slash Cortex. It's a fun show. It's me and CGB Grey. Uh, all of those apps are going to work better 
right? They are going to work better, and I'm excited for that to happen because right now uh, I want to be able to use them to their full ability. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. I'm just saying, in the big picture, having these kinds of watch apps right now, it's not as bad, probably, as Apple Maps the first year. You know? I think we can agree on that. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's a different ball game, but yeah, that was way worse. I mean, because it's... It was people already have the iPhones and they it's, took away a, a feature and replaced it with yeah. a terrible one. <laughs> it's not Apple Maps bad, as they would no, it's say not. in Silicon yeah. Valley. It isn't really that bad, but it's 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 only frustrating to the people that already own the devices, which is nowhere near it's like probably a minuscule percentage point of the people that own iPhones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I totally agree with you. It's 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 it was a decision. Some people around the table or, you know, walking around with their Apple Watches because the Apple Watch told them so. And they're like, should we have apps? Yes or no? And cross the, the yes field. And and that's what we have today. Well, the what I wonder is, years from now, we will look back at this period of WatchKit apps as a huge failure. I don't know. Um, we don't even have numbers for Apple Watch sales, so we can even make reasonable assumptions about the performance of the device in the open market. And will this be will this problem become even more uh, of a problem now that the device is rolling out to more countries? We don't know. Um, it see it, it's a, it's an intellectual discuss discussion that it's um, stimulating to to have because of all these possible outcomes and, and uh, uh, you know, reasons that we can come up with. Uh, but from the practical perspective, watchOS 2 is going to be a great update. Is it going to be great because what we have today is very, very bad? No, to what we have today, it's not super bad. It could be better, which is what watchOS 2 wants to be, what wants to be better, wants to do more. They're doing complications, and the nightstand mode seems pretty genius to me. They're adding stuff on top of the friends interface, more fitness stuff. It's going to be great to to have third-party apps doing stuff with the activity rings. So it's going to be better. It, but it's this first version. Will it be remembered in the list of worst Apple products ever? I don't think so. Does it suck? Sometimes, but that's true of many first things. So... I don't know, Mike. See, it just every time we have these deep discussions, me and you, it just feels like it's 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 emotionally exhausting. I don't know why. I don't know why you bring up the worst in me when it comes to using my emotional resources to discuss software. I don't know what is it that you do. Or it's the best. Maybe or I bring the out best. the best. Yeah, depending on your point of view. Yeah. I just, I just, I feel awesome and exhausted at the same time well let me give you a break and then i still have one more thing that i want to talk to you about which i think is just going to make you feel really happy okay let's do this yes this week's episode is also brought to you by field notes i love field notes i was talking about how much i love pen and paper earlier on the show the paper that i love is field notes they are the notebook brand i have used for years i am a very happy color subscriber of field notes and what this means is i get every new edition of field notes sent to me directly field notes do four new editions a year they're all limited editions 
They call them the Carlos Editions. They are seasonal. They are always incredibly inventive, interesting, and fantastically designed. Field Notes notebooks are made in America, and they are based in Chicago. These products are fantastic, and the people that make them really care about the quality, and they really care about the design. The edition for the summer is called the Workshop Companion Edition. It features a set of six books in a custom sleeve with a set of stickers. Each book is themed to a common project to be done around the house. Electrical work, plumbing, painting, gardening, automotive automotive and woodworking. And if you're a Field Notes color subscriber like me, you'll also get yourself a little workshop reminder magnet too, as well as the books and the set of stickers. The books are all printed on this fantastic paper on the, on the outside. It's called Craft Tone by the French Paper Company. Um, and they look great. They all have this really nice retro style about them, which really fits the overall theme of the books. Field notes are great for all uses. You can have them in your pocket, your bag, in the car, by your Mac, anywhere. They're small, they're very durable, and one of my favorite things about them is getting them a little bit beaten up from, you know, throwing them around and scribbling on them and stuff like that. They take very kindly to that. I think you should go and check out Field Notes. This is a great gift for Father's Day as well. Um, it's perfect, Field Notes are, but Field Notes are a great gift for anybody in your life. Take it from me. Go to fieldnotesbrand.com slash workshop. You can find out more about the workshop edition there. And also, if you buy a color subscription, a year-long color subscription, starting with the workshop companion, and use the code RELAY, you'll get yourself three carpenter pencils and a three-pack of pitch black memo books for free. And even though I believe you should buy a subscription because I think it's worth it, you can also buy the packs of your, the workshop edition separately too. But you want to hurry because these things will sell out, and when they're gone, they're gone. Field notes. I'm not writing it down to remember it later. I'm writing it down to remember it now. Federico, Mike. I would like you to give me the overview here. Of editorial 1.2 and from why are you crazy overviews from by <laughs> me of editorial why is this more than just a point release what's going on in here oh well okay so you say you want the overview yeah um iphone 6 support ios 8 support finally i mean a week after the ios 9 introduction um share sheets support for Syntax highlighting with CSS, HTML, JavaScript. Support for Fountain, which is this markdown fork for screenwriting. Um, task paper enhancements. Drag and drop for paragraphs, so you can rearrange your text. Better search features, so you can search and replace with more options. Um, custom templates and custom previews. So every time you create a file, you can create, you can use a workflow to create the file template, which is awesome if you do a lot of writing. Custom previews, I use them to have a, a preview of how an article will look once it's published on Mac Stories, because I, uh, Brett Terpstra, uh, made me a huge favor if, in making a Mac Stories preview theme for editorial. Um, this is crazy. Uh, Python modules for Twitter, iOS reminders, dialogues, which is a, a lightweight uh, UI uh, Python Python module to basically script interfaces in in a simple way. Um, you can query the, the query the Twitter API with the system accounts with the Twitter account that you configure in the settings on your device. While well, you can now call that app in Python and call the Twitter API with that account. 
without having to do complex authentication. Um, you can have tabs in the web browser. So you can have multiple tabs. If you do research, if you do a lot of writing, long form writing, and you need to look up multiple web pages, or if you're making a complex workflow and you need to look up two different uh, sets of uh, documentation, you can do that. Um, better URL schemes to send the link from Safari or other <laughs> apps to editorial. Uh, do, I, do I need to keep going here? What is Mike? this doing for you on a daily basis? Like, how is this improving the work that you're able to do? The preview makes it easier to kind of see the flow, the visual flow of an article. So when I write, I I tend to consider a lot how, because I, a lot of my readers prefer to read articles in, on Mac Stories instead of Instapaper or Pocket, um, because we, we made it very clear that we want people to experience a great reading view on the web. Um, so having a good visual flow uh, is important to me, and the custom preview lets me do that. So it, um, what does it do? It makes it look like Mac Stories. Exactly like Mac Stories, with footnotes, with uh, headings, with uh, images, captions, everything. It's exactly like Mac Stories, but locally for files. And that's a huge help for me. What app um, used to do that, or does do that? Is it Mars Edit? I don't know. Probably when you configure a, a blog and Mars yeah. Edit, probably. Um, one thing that I use all the time, um, I, I, uh, when, uh, on Mac Stories, I embed a lot of tweets and also YouTube videos and Instagram pictures sometimes. And I made a workflow that uses the new Twitter module to generate an embed code for a tweet. That's the HTML code that every time you need to go to twitter.com, click on a bunch of icons and copy that code. While I have a workflow that I just need to copy a link to a tweet, I tap the workflow and I have the embed code because I uh, use the Twitter API in Python to have that code. So I do, I, I need to like, let's say there's an Apple event and I need to embed 50 tweets on Mac stories. That's no problem. I just need to copy those, uh, those links. Like it's 50 tabs in my Twitter client. And then I have a list of Twitter links. And instead of having to go to the web browser 50 times to copy and paste that embed code, I just tap the workflow and I got 50 embed codes automatically. So that's been a huge time saver for uh, Apple earnings calls and WWDC. I can collect tweets here and there, make a, make a good roundup of stuff. That's been very useful. Um, tabs, of course, because when I'm writing, I can uh, open different websites. And uh, my writing process, I do a lot of... Uh, uh, I, I read my articles like at least three or four times. And links it is in the final uh, portion of the article. I When I'm writing the f for the last time, I uh, open a bunch of websites and then I uh, insert the links. Now with tabs, I'm, 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 uh, I can be quicker because I can have tabs in, in the web browser. Um, I feel like those are the biggest changes. Probably uh, search and replace has also been a good one, but that I have options now to define how editorials should search for a particular word or sentence. And I would say uh, another another welcome change has been the share sheet. Uh, because when I tweet uh, deals, you know, price drops with my stories weekly, uh, with my stories deals uh, on Twitter, um, I no longer need to jump back and forth between editorial and the Twitter client. Uh, uh, editorial can just at any point in the workflow 
uh, when I say so, it brings up the, the share sheet and I send uh, a MacStories deals tweet uh, with the account without leaving the app. And I feel like those are the biggest changes for me. And it's it. I just, Ole, the guy behind the tutorial, this person is crazy, but in a great, fantastic and absurd way uh, that is, is making this app. And he has this annual release cycle, which some people don't like for obvious reasons. Uh, it, it's like, in every way, this is like the, the Ferrari of text editors. They make a new version every year and it keeps getting better and better. Um, I would love for, for Ole to be faster with iOS 9 this year, especially because, you know, multitasking on iPad could be really, really great with editorial. But yeah, it, it like, as I wrote in my review, um, if, if, you, if someone came to me and said, look, for some reason uh, you did really bad things and now we're going to take all your iOS apps, you can only keep one, which, is, which one is it? And it would be editorial. Because if I, if I were to leave with just one iOS app for, you know, the rest of my life, uh, I would find a way to do everything with editorial. Uh, I could build a Twitter client with a custom interface if I wanted to. Um, I could manage reminders. I could do calendar. Um, I could do uh, browse the web, read articles. I could do everything. And so it's the app that I, this is how stuff gets done here with editorial. So it's a big deal to me and it's a great update. Uh, hopefully iOS 9 support will, will come soon. Well, I'm happy that you're happy. Is that a good overview? Yeah, that's Mike? exactly what I wanted because uh, I haven't read your article yet and I just wanted to hear from straight from the, the horse's mouth, as it were, what is so great well, about, about this app. But good for you. You just stole a page view from me with, with this overview. Uh, I just, whilst you were talking, I clicked through to look at it. So <laughs> no, if anything, I you j- got an extra one out of me. JK, love your mic. <laughs> On that note, I think that wraps up this week's episode of Connected. If you'd like to catch our show notes, you can do that by going to relay.fm slash connected slash 44. Um, if you want to find me and Federico online, there's a few ways you can do that. Federico is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. On Twitter, I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Uh, Federico writes over at MacStories.net. And the two of us host a video game show on Relay called Virtual. We have two shows, two episodes posting this week discussing all of the news coming out of E3. So I recommend that you give that one a try if you haven't already. It could be a good week to jump in and just, you know, Stay abreast of what's happening in the world of video games. But we'll be back next time. Until then, Mr. Federico Vitici, will you say goodbye to our audience? Arrivederci, audience.